Good evening, everybody. I want to welcome you here. I want to welcome those who are worshiping by live stream with us for our Maundy Thursday communion service. Um, I, I just want to say a word, I think, uh, for, for those who maybe didn't, didn't grow up uh, having a Maundy Thursday communion service. First of all, where do we get the word Maundy? Uh, is this kind of a lot like Monday, like Monday, Thursday? Are you confused? Maundy is actually from the Latin word uh, mandatus, which means command, a mandate. Okay, think about it that way. And it means commandment. And it has to do with the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples on the night that we celebrate tonight, on the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper and washed their feet. And he said, I've got a new commandment I'm giving you. I've got a new mandate I'm giving you to love one another as I have loved you. And so Maundy Thursday had its start uh, at that upper room that we're going to think about tonight. So that's where the Maundy comes from. In case, you, in case you're watching Jeopardy and that's the double Jeopardy question or something. And uh, so now you know. All right. I'm glad that you're worshiping with us tonight. And before we get started, I want to invite you to come back same time, same place tomorrow for our Good Friday Tenebrae service. It's a service of shadows, and, and we remember um, the last moments of Jesus on Good Friday. So come back and join us uh, tomorrow night at 6. So now, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Will you stand together as we sing our opening hymn, number 419.
Please remain standing as we have our opening prayer together. You'll find it printed in your bulletin. I think it's also up on the screen. Uh, Let us pray together. Gracious God, your anointed one, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Number 285 is going to be our next hymn, and I'm going to um, just kind of give you a heads up. Uh, this is a hymn that we haven't done since I've been here. Benny has been playing this. It's, it's just a beautiful hymn, and I think you'll recognize the tune. But I want you to just reflect on this as we sing, To Mock Your Reign, O Dearest Lord, number 285. In our scripture, we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 17, and then verses 31 through 35. Now, before the festival of the Passover, 
Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Do you think, do you think Simon Peter is a little bit extra? I mean, he is. Jesus said, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And then down in verse 34, the mandate part of Monday Thursday. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Former Attorney General John Ashcroft writes a story in his book, Lessons from a Father to a Son, that I just think is very memorable. It's always stuck with me when I read that. It uh, the setting is, it was just a few months after he had been elected for his first term as a senator, and he was gathered at his home because his father, who was a retired minister, uh, was in poor health and, and at, at the near, uh, near death, really. But he was gathered in the room with his father. His father was on his, his deathbed, as, as it turned out, and um, his father... Um, said to him, John, please listen carefully. And he writes that everyone just kind of stopped and all heads went to Reverend Ashcroft. And here's what he told his son. John, the spirit in Washington is arrogance and the spirit of Christ is humility. Put on the spirit of Christ 
Because, son, nothing of lasting value can be accomplished in arrogance. And, and uh, Senator Ashcroft just says, uh, everyone was just kind of like waiting to see what his dad was going to say next. And here's what his dad said. Son, I hope that someone comes up to you one day while you're fulfilling your duties as a senator and says, Senator, your spirit is showing. Your spirit is showing. And so um, Ashcroft goes on to say that uh, a few months after his father's death, he was in the airport going from, I don't know, one place to another. And like I have done before, maybe you have done before, he missed his connecting flight. And he was, he was standing in the line at, with, at the ticket agent in this airport, and he was trying to get on another flight with a ticket that he had. And she said, sir... You can't use that ticket. I can book you on a later flight. And he said, as she was saying this, he, he felt, has this ever happened to you? His face go just red with anger. He could feel the anger coming up inside of, of, of himself. And he was starting to get hot with this, this ticket agent. And, and then he heard somebody in the line behind him say this. Yeah, he thinks he can do anything because he's a senator. And he remembered what his dad said to him. He remembered when his dad said, someday I hope somebody tells you, Senator, your spirit is showing. And he said, my spirit was showing, but not in a good way. And he caught himself and he went. He said, I sat down and I wrote a handwritten apology note and took it and gave it to the ticket agent I don't know why that is is something that stuck in my minute in my memory for for tonight but maybe I do know why because on the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples and celebrated what what we know as the last supper what to them was the Passover everybody that night had their spirit showing. And the disciples uh, in Luke's account of the story in Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke actually tells us that the disciples, while gathered in the upper room with Jesus, were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. So while Jesus, can't you just see this in your mind? While Jesus is taking the bread and saying, this is my body broken for you. And he's taking the cup and saying, this is my blood shed for you. All the time, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Their spirit was showing, right? And then Jesus, while they were still arguing, gets up. And he wraps a towel around himself and he starts to wash their feet. Something that the most menial task, the most menial job that could be done, that would have been done by a household slave in that day and time. And after he washed their feet, he said this to them, do you know, or, or better yet, do you understand, right? Let's think of it that way. Do you understand what I've done? They were probably still all like this, right? Maybe a little embarrassed. 
And Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do that because I am your teacher and your Lord. But I've washed your feet. And I've done this for you because I wanted to give you an example that you should do what I have done for you. So what example did Jesus give? Well, to wash feet. You know, I've done a foot washing service before. Maybe I'll do one here sometime. I don't know. So be on your toes to get that. We might do a foot washing service sometime on Monday, Thursday. But I think this is more than just a foot washing kind of story. I think it's just an example of serving. Christian service. The lowliest job a person could do Jesus did it. So sometimes I, I think we, maybe we need to ask ourselves, is there anything serving-wise that I think I'm too good to do, if truth be told, I think is beneath me? But there's something more here uh, because I think this has to do not just with Christian service, but I think it has to do with what Jesus knew on the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, here are four things that Jesus knew. One is, in verse 1 it says, Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified in less than 24 hours. He knew that. So, imagine that you had that knowledge that, that you had 24 hours to live. What would you do? You know, what would you do? Jesus washed feet. And then the second thing in verse 2, Jesus knew, he knew that he was going to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. So imagine that you had that knowledge that one of your closest friends was about to betray you, what would you do? Jesus washed his betrayer's feet. That's what he did. So here's the third thing that Jesus knew in verse 3. Jesus knew, in verse 3 it tells us, he knew that all power and authority had been given into his hands by the Father. So imagine that you were king or queen for a day. and You had all power and all authority. You could do anything you wanted to do. You could just like do it. What would you do? Jesus washed feet. How in the world could he do that? And y'all, I know, I appreciate it. Some people don't, well, one, they don't like having their feet touched. I understand that, you know. Some people sure don't want to touch somebody else's feet. Some people have this, like, foot thing. Just, don't, oh, just, no, feet, no. How could Jesus, how could Jesus do that? Well, that's, I think he could do it because of the fourth thing that Jesus knew. In verse 3, I just love this. It said Jesus knew that he'd come from God and he was going to God. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And because 
of that, he was able to do even the most gross job and to do it joyfully and to leave an example for his followers and for us. Um, Thomas Merton was a, a, a Trappist monk and I, I really like his writings. If you've never read anything by Thomas Merton, I recommend it. He wrote a book um, called Mystics and Zen Masters. And, uh, okay, hold up. Just don't, don't get all excited. I'm not about to go all kung fu on you or anything like that. I'm not recommending Zen Buddhism. But, but Thomas Merton, who was, like I said, a Trappist monk, wrote that there's a practice in Zen Buddhism that's called uh, wiping the mirror. And he thinks that it has a lot to do with what we need to do as Christians. See, in this practice, in this Buddhist practice, um, they see the mind as like a mirror. And if, if a person can see in that mirror, then they can get enlightened by that. But, but everyday thoughts and problems and, and even false concepts, right, false notions cloud up the mirror and so one of the things they do through meditations is they is they they wipe the mirror so that their mirror is not all clouded up and so that they can see clearly and so you're thinking oh gosh preacher you've just gone off the rails here but but listen stick with me because here's what I think about. I think about, you know, especially like in the summertime, when you take like a really, like a hot shower and then you get out of the shower and the bathroom mirror is all fogged up, right? And if you wanted to like shave or put makeup on or, or, or do your hair, whatever you do, uh, and you wanted to do that with the mirror all fogged up, it wouldn't do you any good. I mean, there's no telling what you'd look like when you stepped out of that. I mean, you'd look like a million bucks. But there's no telling what you would look like because the mirror's fogged up. You couldn't see it. You couldn't do anything really worthwhile until you wiped the mirror, right? Because it was all fogged up. And so the connection I see is in our spiritual formation and our growing up in Christ, which is kind of the whole point of this, is what we're doing as disciples. It's like wiping the mirror and not like wiping the mirror in Zen Buddhism, but right like what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which you, all the time you hear it read at weddings, it's beautiful and I love it. But there's a couple of verses in the love chapter that get lost in the shuffle of all the love is this and love is that. It's verses 11 and 12, where Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then he says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And what Paul is talking about here is the process of growing up. Growing up. And sometimes we forget that, you know, Jesus was human in every way, even though he was divine in every way. And Jesus grew up. We don't read a whole lot about his childhood or anything, but Jesus grew up. 
And when Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples on Monday, Thursday, that first Monday, Thursday, Jesus knew then more than he knew when he was a kid. Because as he grew and as he matured, all the Bible says in Luke 2.40 is that Jesus grew and became strong and filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. That's all we know about his childhood. But we know he grew up and there was a time as the mirror became clearer and clearer. By the time he got to the Last Supper with his disciples, he knew exactly who he was and exactly where he had come from and exactly where he was going. And he knew that all power was in his hands and yet he still washed the feet of his disciples. This is what I need to hear when, as my mom still will tell me today, you're too big for your britches. And she's not talking about that I might have gained some weight. She means you're full of yourself. You're too big for your britches. And when I'm like that, it's not because I'm seeing myself clearly, you see, but just the opposite. It's that my mirror has become all fogged up by my ego or my pride or whatever it is. But when I really wipe the mirror and see myself, it's only then that I can serve like Jesus served. It's only then that I can really follow Jesus' example of humility and love. As we come to the Lord's table tonight, let's just remember that Jesus gave us an example. And then as we get up from this table and as we go from this place, let's also remember that our spirits are showing. And may they be the right one. In the front of your hymnal, if you want to follow along in the hymnal, these words will also be up on the screen for you. It's the service of word and table. So I invite you to turn there with me now. Hear the invitation. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let's pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love and we have not loved our neighbors. As we have not heard the cry of the needy, forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Hear the good news. 
Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. We'll continue with the great thanksgiving on page 13 in your hymnal. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth, and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I have a, a couple of, of words of instruction for, for you, just kind of some housekeeping things. Uh, and the most important one is this. All are welcome at the Lord's table tonight. We have... Uh, open communion in the United Methodist Church and all who are here, you don't have to be a member of this church or any other church. All you have to do is have a heart that's hungry for the Lord and all are invited. So it's open for everybody. Uh, the second thing is, is our custom to come and kneel at the altar and to receive communion that way. Um, and if you are because of your back or your knees or your hips or whatever, if you're not able to kneel, just don't feel self-conscious at all. Still come if you can, as you're able to, and just stand. You, it, it's, it's perfectly fine if you, if you can't kneel without having three people help you get back up. So, so just, just stand, it's fine. If you want to be served at your seat, we'll make that available to you too. We just want this open for, for everybody. 
And then finally, uh, it's our custom to, to leave an offering on the communion rail if you're able to do that, if, if God leads you to do that. And if you leave an offering on the communion rail for our communion offering uh, goes to help it, our local missions fund. And, and um, what that does is when we have calls, which we get on a daily basis for people that need help with something, we use our communion offering to do that. So if you're able to do that, then leave it on the communion rail and we'll use it for that. Uh, and um, so we, uh, oh, one more thing. We have some very special uh, music that's gonna be happening while we have communion and Afton and Morgan are gonna be playing their cello for us. So, so hello Afton and Morgan, we're, we're looking forward to, to hearing uh, you. The ushers will give you directions on how to, to come and when to come, so, so don't worry about that. And I want to invite those who are helping me serve, if you'll come and be served first tonight. The body of Christ broken for you. Body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ, shed for you. Blood of Christ, shed for you. Arise and go in peace, and may the peace of Christ go with you.
Thank you so much. Do y'all have any idea how hard that is if you've ever tried to play a stringed instrument? I know at least one of you knows how hard that is. Will you stand now as we sing number 413, our closing hymn, which is our charge. We do have a mandate to keep. Number 413. charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to Now let us receive this benediction. O oh Lord, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself for us. Grant your grace that as we go from here, we might give ourselves for others. In your name, amen.